Hello and welcome to another episode of the Daily Remedy Podcast. Today we're here with Justin Breen, author of Epic Life. Mr. Breen is the connecting superhero for every visionary, investment, and abundance mindset entrepreneur who shares their story with the world. He's the CEO of BR Epic Communications and BR Epic Network, and of course, the author of Epic Life. And with that, I'd like to welcome Mr. Breen. Doctor, how are you doing? I'm doing well. You know, it was interesting getting to know you. We had a one conversation before this and a few uh, exchanges over social media. And one thing is clear is that you're very action oriented <laughs> and result driven. Uh, I was trying to kind of understand the source of that. I read actually in the chapter, I, I believe it was the first chapter, actually, when you talk about your parents' origin story, the uh, drunken driving incident, uh, escaping from the Russian pogroms. Talk about that mindset, what drives it and what sustains it. Yeah, I'm excited to talk to you. Um, you know, I strongly feel people are either born like this or they're not. Um, I mean, I think most people would choose to do what they like to do and what they're good at, make as much money as they want to spend time with a certain type of person, but they're, they, they can't execute. They can't, they don't have the courage to do it. So, I mean, and then if you don't know where you come from, it's hard to know where you are. And then it's really hard to know where you're going. So I'd like to know where I come from. So, you know, my dad was 61 when I was born. My mom was 27. My dad's uh, parents escaped the, the programs in Russia. Um, and then, you know, my father was born in 1916. He'd be 100 and, 106 if he was alive now. He and his Three brothers all served actively in World War II. Uh, my father was shot down multiple times in combat, many times without a parachute, became an attorney in the Nuremberg trials. He came from nothing. Um, and uh, he always said the cream rises to the top. So uh, he died when I was 13. So age five to 13, every day, the cream rises to the top, the cream rises to the top. So at, I mean, and then my mom was 27 uh, when I was born. Um, and then in his late fifties, my dad was hit by a drunk driver car accident, drunk driver died. Uh, dad broke every bone in his body, but he survived. And then my mom was his nurse. So most of my days talking to people like us, top entrepreneurs on planet, I haven't met anyone in my life with more hustle than my mom ever ultimate, ultimate survive and thrive. And then, so <laughs> I'm the combination of that. Here I am. So if people make excuse or <laughs> not in my world. <laughs> yeah. Wrong answer. Don't make an excuse here. That's awesome. You talk a lot about that phrase, cream rises to the top. And you mentioned that it's something you didn't quite understand at first. And I remember reading a part where you say it took a few decades for you to understand that. What was it about the sayings that you would hear from your dad or your mom that resonated differently over time as you progressed in your career so we live life right well at least you know at least i know visionary entrepreneurs definitely live their life no matter the ups and downs you're living your life and so you know that starts as a child and many times you can't understand it when you're when you're a kid i mean you don't you know you listen but you don't necessarily understand but then those lessons they kind of they kind of rediscover themselves or reemerge into your lives, and I've just you know I'm 45, so every day is a learning lesson, and then you know my brain turns everything into patterns. So eventually you see, you know, the pattern and what someone said, and then what it actually means. Um, and so even though my dad 
dive when I was 13 is still in me at a very high level, not only because of the cream rises to the top, uh, which I see every day. I see people that rise to the top and do whatever it takes. And I see others that make excuses and they're not doing anything. Why? Because they're making excuses instead of, you know, taking action, making the investment. And those are the ones that are the, the most miserable because they don't, they're just trapped in their own excuse world. And that's, that's unacceptable for me. But, but what I will say is that, um, you know, having a father like that, that's an unusual situation. Um, you know, having someone, you know, he was essentially, I don't even like to say the word, but he was essentially retired when he was raising us. And then my mom was out hustling in a good way, good hustling. Um, so to get that type of wisdom of a life, and I think my dad was so grateful to be alive. Uh, it's a miracle he survived World War II and the car accident and many other things. So he gave me all that wisdom and my brothers all that wisdom. Um, uh, and that, that's why I'll never let entrepreneur life destroy my family life. And that's why I spend so much time with my sons who are nine and eight. I know what it's like not to have a dad around. I mean, I will not be that person. Wow. One phrase that sticks out, as you say, a dad who happens to be an entrepreneur when you describe yourself yeah. and you're detailing <laughs> patterns and mindsets. Yeah. Ostensibly, it may seem counterintuitive. Why would there be patterns and mindsets when you're in the PR world, when you're in the world of <laughs> uh, individuals, uh, <clears throat> reconcile that too for those who may not see that immediate connection. Well, one, uh, uh, some big words there. I appreciate that. They, you know, they uh, teach, I was a journalist for 20 years. They teach us to use third grade words. So you're using a lot of big, a lot of big <laughs> medical school words. And then my wife's a doctor. So she uses a lot of big words that are multi-syllable, multi-syllabic. <laughs> I don't even know. I don't even know the word. So, so good, good question. But so like at the highest level, there is no competition, only collaboration and uh, was a journalist for 20 years, created an entire first company based on how PR firms annoyed me for 20 years. Actually, I don't know what PR firms do other than annoy journalists. So <laughs> like, I know why you asked that question for your audience, I, and I appreciate it. And I know you understand the answer and you asked it because so people understand. So, but at, at, you know, people are like, oh, you're in PR space competitive. I go, there's no competition. <laughs> so yeah. it's all, there's no, I mean, the people, that my firm partners with, there's no competition. They're living in full uh, abundance, visionary world. And the people who live in competition are the transactional folks, uh, the one who look at things uh, as, in, as cost, not investment, the ones who won't take action and look for excuses. That's competition world. I just don't, I don't live in that world because people who make excuses, uh, um, won't understand what happens if they're introduced to someone who's a true visionary. And then a true visionary does not want to be introduced to someone who makes excuses. They don't, they don't, they don't want to deal with that. I, I think that's really important for people to touch on. And you brought a couple of key points that I, I want to just hone in on. Talk about the difference between someone who perceives a cost versus perceives an investment. What's the mindset difference? Well, it's really everything. Um, and what happened was, uh, you know, started first company a little over five years ago after job salary was cut in half. I couldn't find a job. I was a journalist. So no, I, I still don't know what an S corp is because I think it's funny, but um, <laughs> didn't know you had to pay taxes four times a year. So like, I don't understand any of that stuff, but, and I don't want to. Um, 
But what happened was in the first two years, uh, I heard a lot of what do you cost or charge because it was still, you know, and I didn't understand why people were asking that um, because it was still transactional business world. And then what happened was starting, started raising rates, investment rates exponentially with PR firm because I saw the value. I saw the value what people were getting and then started to hear more and more what does an investment with you look like? And kind of how you asked earlier is kind of counterintuitive. The more the rates went up, the less and less people started asking, what do you cost or charge? They just started, what, you know, what does an investment with you look like? And in the first book uh, I wrote, Epic Business, that was the number one thing that people said, uh, the chapter that only partner with people who look at things as investments, not costs. So if someone asks, what do you cost or charge within the first five or 10 minutes of a conversation? I will never talk to that person again, unless they change their mindset into an abundance investment mindset, uh, because they're just living in transactional world. And I can't help those people because those are their world people who are not doing what it takes to change the world. And my firm's only partner with the world investment mindset people. What does it take to achieve that mindset shift? Well, one, no excuses, two, taking action. And again, my brain simplifies everything into patterns. So I keep writing bigger and bigger checks to be in smaller and smaller rooms, all these entrepreneurial groups I'm in, but the people in those rooms are making bigger impact. So it's the same formula, bigger checks, smaller room, bigger impact, because it's who's not only who's in the room, but who's not. And then that allows me to spend biggest investment biggest check and smallest room, which is my family where I can make the most impact. So it's the same formula, bigger, bigger investment, smaller room, bigger impact, bigger. So same, same thing. And so again, most people don't have the courage to do that. Um, that's why they're not top performing entrepreneurs in the world because they make excuses and a top entrepreneur would never, ever make an excuse. I know the, um, in five years with the PR side of thing, uh, it's up to three, billion two billionaires for sure one near billionaire if not a billionaire and then i think it's up to eight or nine folks that have been dirt dirt broke and then just wrote the check figured out a way to make a check you know write the check and and i just can't understand again growing up with the parents that i have my wife and i that our first date was the day before she started medical school as you know <laughs> so i mean there's just you can't there's no excuses and so most of the world just lives in excuse world. You find a lot of strength in your personal story and kind of continuing this narrative. Uh, when love I look that. at love that epic life and I look at epic business, there's a narrative, not just in your life, but in your writing as well. How do you weave these various aspects of your life to create this cohesive It's the narrative? same thing. It's the same. Yeah. So. Okay, so one, that's very high level thinking. Uh, you're, I don't know if you've ever done your IQ. Um, you're def if you're not over 140, I'd be absolutely flabbergasted. And one, 140 and above is genius. That's 1% of the world's population. Um, you don't have to answer that if you don't want to. But, um, I actually I never got it tested, but thank you okay. for that. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'd be, I mean, I'd be shocked. But, so, but when you get too far above 140, uh, hard to be human. It's almost like robotic. Um, and then I'm 139, one point below genius, but that I think it's actually a blessing because I can translate, um, you know, cyborg, like, you know, 
whatever that is, genius to human. It's like a bridge for that. But, but so I talk to one to two entrepreneurs like us every single week, every single week that have let entrepreneur life destroy their family life um, or prevented them from ever having a family. And I, I just can't understand that. It doesn't make any sense to me. So the new book is how to build collaborative global companies while putting your loved ones first. Okay. So that's a good idea, right? And mm -hmm. so if you don't take action and actually live that, then that's a pointless idea. So I live that first myself um, and then do it with all the you know, partners with both companies. That's the, that's the whole point because talk to me is meaningless without doing it yourself. So the narrative's written. It's what I've learned from top folks on planet and then incorporated it into my life and then actually doing it. Because if you don't do it, then it's just talk. Yeah. And let me take this on a personal note, because I think that this would be relevant to the people who are listening. When we first interacted, you asked me to perform a Kobe test, and then yeah. you start to quantify attributes that I possess through testing. And yeah. that kind of led how our subsequent interactions took place. So why yeah. do you take that approach? What's the value in that? Yeah. So again, talk to me is meaningless without like providing an answer or a real reason, an active reason. And active thinking is much different than overthinking. Overthinkers, I can't deal with overthinkers, but active thinkers are like think and then they actually take action. Not great, great friends of mine. And so the only thing I write down before I meet someone is their name and their Colby score, if they know it. And then if they haven't taken it, uh, like our conversation, we, we actually hadn't spoken on Zoom or phone until you had taken the Colby. So I appreciate right. you taking it. Okay, so, and then you took it. So that shows you actually care, one. And two, you sent it to me right away, which shows your high quick start, which is true because you're a seven quick start. Okay, so that's the background. Um, the overwhelming majority of visionaries, uh, true visionaries, which again, my firm only partners with visionaries, firms only partner with visionaries, are eight, nine, or 10 quick starts. So actually higher than us. We're, you and I are both seven. However, a seven or lower occasionally, if not rarely, will slip into that visionary role if they have one of the following or both. Extraordinarily high IQ, which I, again, I'd be shocked if you didn't have that. Uh, or and or extraordinarily high EQ. Um, I, I know I'm 139 is pretty high. I'm guessing I have very high EQ as well. Both my parents were incredibly high EQ, very high level hustlers in a good way. Um, so I have that as well. I'm guessing you have high in both. And so you can game the system. So that's more background. And then, and then also, in five plus years as an entrepreneur, five plus years, uh, my firms have partnered with one person under a seven quick start, one. Uh, because I found that's the dividing line between folks that talk about something and never actually execute. I'll be curious to see if you're six through 10, 10 through 20, the lower quick starts, the lower quick starts execute and take action. But quick start really measures your ability to handle risk. The higher the quick start, risk doesn't mean as much to you. Um, so that's another thing. And then also a lot of the folks that I talk to, uh, you're an exception. Uh, they're very, very high quick start, like eight, nine or 10, 
and then very low follow through one, two, or three. So that's ADD, ADHD, diagnosed or undiagnosed. It's not a disorder, sign of genius, but it's mislabeled. And they're all over the place. And if they don't hire 3 million people, nothing will ever get done. And then I'm the incredibly rare entrepreneur visionary that has high quick start, boom, 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 and high follow through. So say it, do it, say it, do it, say it, do it, say it, do it. And so I can keep up with the visionaries and then follow through. It's very rare. Playing devil's advocate and just humor me for a moment. So many successful entrepreneurs are the ones who eschew uh, traditional learnings, traditional academia. 100%. So they may say, why do I need a test to characterize my ability to be successful? What would you say to those folks and what are these metrics that you're relying on different from traditional metrics of gauging academic success? Yeah, so that's a medical school question. Thank you for that. <laughs> I don't get a lot of those. Uh, so true entrepreneur doesn't care where someone went to school. They don't, not, I've never had anyone in, in the groups I'm in ever. And I believe I talked to a lot of people that went to MIT and Caltech, all that fun stuff, Harvard. Um, that's fine. No, no one ever brags about that in entrepreneur world. Uh, and then, by the way, uh, just so like it's not just answering without anything. I got a, a full academic scholarship to University of Illinois uh, uh, based on academics, got very high ACT score. Also, like there's some of that brain in there as well. Um, but it's that's totally meaningless in entrepreneur world. And so what I like about Colby specifically is it's not your personality. It's how you take action. It's how you take action. And four things that I've noticed in very high performing entrepreneurs, very high performing. Uh, I've noticed at least one of the following four things. One is ADHD. Two is uh, minor Asperger's uh, on the spectrum. Three, uh, dyslexia. And four, uh, incredibly high IQ. So not book smarts or anything like that necessarily. Uh, but definitely very high intelligence. Because like, to create these things that, that these folks are creating, it requires, like, you have to have an incredible brain to be doing this, an incredible vision. Um, you just can't, like, that's what I mean. Most people, they don't have the intellect, literally, to be able to even think about something like this, let alone do it. So let's transition a little bit and talk about kind of what you provide in terms of just that relationship with high-performing entrepreneurs. So we know what the work does, we know what you can offer, but relationship-wise, somebody comes to you, somebody wants to almost in many ways build that relationship that's part mentoring, part service. Of Talk a little bit about how you interact with the entrepreneurs. What, is, what are you looking for in the relationships you cultivate? a really interesting question your brain your brain's kind of floating around but then you want to land the plane which is really fascinating to me it's like um you're up here and then you're like oh let's land it for our listeners so um yeah it's it's that's how my brain thinks i'm like listening but not really like i'm trying to digest what you're saying which actually you do the same thing to me but but um so like all I hear from a practical standpoint is we're tired of being the best secret and we want to be in more news media, usually at a global level, but many times national, regional to create more validity and credibility. Um, so it doesn't matter. 
it doesn't matter the company. It doesn't matter where they're located. It doesn't matter, you know, how big it is. That's totally meaningless. It's like, are you a visionary or not? And so most of the people, most true visionaries, they're like idea, 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 idea. They're all over the place, blah, 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 blah. And then they can't simplify. So then my brain here is blah, 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 blah. And then, you know, 30 minutes later, here's your 500 word story that simplifies and shares your message. <laughs> and then, yeah. and then here you go, connect, 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 you know, and then folks get to share their story with the world. And so I'm endlessly grateful for people like that. Cause they're the ones that they, that create everything that changed the world. Uh, and they're endlessly grateful for me because they get, they're all over the place and they can't simply, they can't simplify uh, what they're actually doing and supposed to say. And then media is very grateful because it gives them like a starting point, uh, you know, like a cliff notes version. And then they can take the interview much like you're taking this one. You know, I want to touch a little bit on that. I play on words, that idea of ideas if you will, <laughs> uh, you talk about your lack of ideas. In fact, yeah, you yeah. write about this. You say you've only Proudly. had five truly game-changing ideas. And that's a directly quoting from your book. Uh, why do you feel like your lack of ideas is a strength? You talk about simplifying it, but it's a little bit more nuanced than that because you actually go from a point where you realize just straightforward simplification is not the full picture. So maybe distill a little bit in this idea of bringing action to ideas, but giving it the proper context where it's a combination of simplifying, but not just simplifying, if that yep. makes sense. Yeah, well, you're a learner and you need input. Um, I don't need any input, but I do like to learn. So, but that's, a, that, I, that's collaborative, that's collaborative. And so most of the folks, it, we'll, we'll talk in Gallup, Clifton, Strength Finders world. Most of the people I, there's 34 of them. I'd say most of the people I talk to are, are top five in ideation. They're also top five in futuristic. Uh, so they're off in idea land, but um, then they have a mix of activator, maximizer, and or achiever. So they'll do something about it now. So they're off in wherever that world is, out in flying car world, but they'll do something about it now. So you're off, if you're off in ideal world, don't do anything. That's, that's torture and that's pointless. Okay. So there's 34 of them. I am 32 out of 34 in ideation, almost dead last, almost dead last. Uh, and then I was on a, a show like this with a, a top five ideator. And he's like, you know what? Your, your lack of ideation is a strength because you know, if it's a truly great idea, I'm like, ah, oh. Thanks. That's a good idea. You're right about that. <laughs> and, and, and so my top five strength finders are activator, maximizer, achiever, competition, even though there is no more competition anymore. It's all collaboration and then responsibility. So result, 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 result. And by the way, sixth is self-assurance. So no imposter syndrome. A lot of entrepreneurs have imposter syndrome. I, I don't. Um, I, I know I'm really good at like a couple things, like world-class and then not good at everything else basically. So, but that's okay because if you're great at a couple things and that's really all you need to be great at. You know, laying this out here, I think I have imposter syndrome and 
I'm not hmm. sure. Thanks for admitting that or saying it. No, no, no. And I think it's important to bring that up in the conversation because most entrepreneurs do. What what is it about imposter syndrome that is so pervasive in a field where you mm-hmm. need such strong, almost irrational confidence? Yeah, irrational confidence is uh, a foundation based on imposter syndrome. So you just create a fake um, identity for it. And so this is, uh, I am not a therapist. I'm not, you know, I'm not, but like when you talk to the same type of person over and over, then you see the pattern and like, oh, okay, that's a bad idea. I'm not going to do that. Or that's a great idea. Thanks for the fact that I'm not good in ideation, which is a strength. Okay, great. Thanks. And so what happens is, is entrepreneurs are the most damaged people, the most damaged people with the best coping skills. So what does that mean? Uh, I have not met one entrepreneur like us that has not overcome at least one of the following four things, most are two or three. And now it's mostly all four higher up on the food chain. It's all, you know, threes and fours. So here, this is what separates entrepreneurs from humans, consultants, business owners, whatever that is. So four things, bankruptcy or potential bankruptcy two depression, three, the highest level of anxiety that you can imagine for likely and or possible traumatic experiences as a child or young adult. So 99.9% of the population uses those as excuse, entrepreneur at the highest level, figure it out. Okay, so that the dovetail to that is the figuring it out, the imposter syndrome creating this identity, it helps them create, you know, you know, whatever that global, you know, amazing company, many times, not always, Many times, not always uh, at the expense of their family, torching their family or never having. That's what I see over and over and over and over again. That's why I wrote the, the second book. Because you highlight in there about how you have been able to spend more time with your family, the more successful you have become. That's a good uh, idea. <laughs> <laughs> right. How do you navigate that balance? And how are you able to put the two as collaborative instead of almost like an opportunity cost where one no, no. comes at the cost of the other. Yeah, that's you're right. So yeah, it's a hundred percent collaborative. So there's a couple of things from that. One, again, simplifying the patterns, usually people like us marry stabilizing humans. You, not always, but usually. So like I always ask people like us, so is your spouse a teacher or social worker or teach like a like a kindergarten teacher. My wife's a pediatrician. So that's a full stabilizing human. Um, so that's been a great benefit. And then our sons are a mix of stabilizing love or empathy, human, and then maniac, visionary, go for it. Um, you know, me. So that's an interesting mix. And it's been wonderful because the greatest part about entrepreneur life is that, uh, our sons, Jake and Chase, who are nine and eight, they can see that this world even exists and then they can do whatever they want with it. So it's, you know, they sit in on meetings with me, with the entrepreneurs that I talk to, and we talk about, they've already done their Colby test. They're both nine quick starts. 10 is the highest. Uh, my wife's a four. And then we talk about simplifier versus multiplier. We talk about global growth. We talk about collaborations and partnerships. They don't learn any of that in school. And I'm like, well, you know, learn, you know, math and reading and art and all that fun stuff. And then I'll give you a, you know, entrepreneurial type education. What do they get out of it? So they're in a room, they're, they're listening to you work with an entrepreneur. They may not get 
the subject matter. It's the same thing with the cream rises to the top. They won't get it until they're older. Yeah, that's what they get. It's that a certain experience that then has to matriculate over time in their heads. 100%. Yeah. So the gift my dad gave me, I'm giving to them. That's a great question by you. Interesting. Great. Let me let me ask kind of a, a question along the lines of building relationships with entrepreneurs. When do you realize it's not working well? When do you realize that your initial engagement and approach with the entrepreneur is not materializing out? Or do you ever have those types of moments? So early on, early on, um, because, you know, when you start a business, it, it, one of the chapters in the first book is it takes two full years to figure things out when you start a company. So early on, it was, it was more talking to business owners who didn't, they were looking at things as costs, not investments. And it was very difficult working with those folks because they literally looked at every single, every single thing as opposed to like understanding that connection to media is not about a transaction. It's about creating another great connection and creating more validity and credibility for your brand. I don't really have any of that anymore because I'm so direct. It weeds, it really weeds that type of person out now. Um, I will say being an activator, um, you just want to take action. And a, a decent part of the world, um, not my world, but a decent part of the world, uh, they're not activators. They like to overthink. And so finding finding the people who actually get it, it took a lot of time. It took a lot of time, but then once you find them, then they just keep introducing you to more and more people like that. But it was definitely a challenge uh, early on in the process for sure. Interesting. Uh, with the time that we have remaining, I wanna kind of open it up for people to get a hold of you. So if somebody finds your service of value or if somebody finds your approach and the way you speak appealing, which in full disclosure, I find it very refreshing, the manner in which you speak. It's uh, People like you love me and, and regular humans <laughs> don't understand. So thank you. <laughs> I think that we're, you know, it, it's funny you, you phrase it that way because I think that there is a certain kind of assimilation that takes place at a subconscious level, person to person. For those of you who may have been listening and feel that assimilation with you, how could they get a hold of you? What's the best way to reach you? Uh, yeah, Justin Breen on LinkedIn is probably probably the best way. Okay, awesome. And so with that, uh, Justin, want to thank you so much for your time. Um, I'm sure you know that I'm going to reach out to you shortly and we're going to continue this conversation. But thank you so much for joining on this podcast and look forward to keeping the conversation going. I uh, really, really appreciate this interview and the, the questions were great. Thank you. Appreciate it.